Good morning, everyone, and thank you for making my role this morning so much easier. I could get you to keep on talking, and that would be terrific. <laughs> um, last week, we started talking about the character of God and how we understand that, not go by going immediately to the, the um, pictures that we see of Jesus in the Gospels or uh, other parts of the New Testament, but instead to actually take seriously the idea that the character of God is revealed in the Old Testament as well. Now, before we jump to, um, to Jesus, and before we jump sometimes even to a preferential picture of Jesus that we create in our own minds, instead thinking about how the, the, uh, the picture of Jesus is revealed in the Old Testament, how it's a picture of Jesus, picture of God is revealed in the Old Testament, and how the stories of the Old Testament, how the prophecies, the laws, all those different things build together a picture that Jesus himself can draw upon when he refers back to what he calls the scriptures. Because, of course, there's no New Testament uh, for Jesus. There's no New Testament even for the early church until the letters start getting distributed and copied and sent around. The Old Testament are the scriptures of the early church. And so they are trusted by the early church to understand who God is. But... As we said last time, often you come across things which are, are confronting or odd because they're culturally different um, and things that are hard sometimes for us to understand. It's not necessarily that the problem lies in the text. Sometimes the problem lies in our own understanding. And so one of the things this morning, this is a different kind of um, problem, is that the, uh, what we talked about this morning was the idea of the Lord, our righteousness. But, of course, the questions were focusing mainly on the idea of justice. So, so which one are we doing this morning? Are we talking about the Lord who is just? Are we talking about the Lord who is righteous? Well, of course, this is where we, in going back to the Old Testament, we discover that the, uh, the words that he used are actually bringing those two different ideas together. But um, as with so many things we can misunderstand uh, what's going on. But let's start off with the one place that we think about the Lord, our righteousness, and that is Jeremiah chapter 25. So I hope, as I encourage every week, that you've brought a Bible uh, with you. So Jeremiah's about halfway through, if you're trying to find that. It's important for us to think that um, what the Bible does is not just give us a, a bunch of a, a list of names and, and lovely ideas, but in fact, God's character, these names of God, are revealed in the things that God actually does. It's revealed in action, it's revealed in stories. So if we look at uh, Rev, uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. And Jeremiah says here, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, Yahweh, when I will rise, raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Just before we say anything more about that, let's jump over to um, Jeremiah 33. 
and verse 15. We'll start from verse 14, actually. The days are surely coming. Again, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Okay, uh, so uh, what's that about? What's going on there? So as you may well know, uh, Jeremiah is written to the exiles in Babylon. So after God has created a people for himself, a covenant with that people, he's given them a way to live of wisdom and um, covenant faithfulness. Israel overall, um, as you know from the story, has failed in that vocation that has been given to them. They've failed to live up to God's standard of righteousness. They've failed to show love to the stranger. They have failed to live according to the covenant purpose. And so uh, part of what happens there is they become susceptible and uh, to uh, invasion and uh, many of the people of Israel are dragged off to, um, to Babylon. So in this case... Um, is that the end of the story? We know that that is not the end of the story. We know that God is one who pursues his people, that reaches out to his people as he does um, to us today, that God is not looking for ways to actually exclude us. He's not looking for ways to uh, things to actually say, you've done that, you're out. God is always reaching out to us in his uh, love and seeking to make us into a new people. And so that's what, what is happening here. Days are coming, says uh, Jeremiah here. It's a promise, a promise for the future, something which is to come. God has shown his intentions to act. And praise God, I think as you read through that prophecy, you think, have an idea who might be the fulfilment of that particular promise. But we don't live in a time still where justice exists throughout the world. We don't live in a time even where Justice and righteousness even exists amongst us in the church. It's something which is always something we come back to uh, critiqued as we read scripture. We are challenged and we are called afresh to embody the calling that God has actually given us to embody righteousness and justice. So what does, that, what does this actually mean anyway, righteousness and justice? Because justice might seem familiar, and we've talked a bit about that. Righteousness... Maybe not so much. Righteousness sounds like kind of strange, antiquated language, doesn't it? And for a lot of people, when you say the word righteous, they immediately think self-righteous. Um, they think, ah, this is a person who is puffed up, thinks well of themselves, has their own set of standards, and has met their own set of standards, bless them, um, and then looks down upon others who has not met that perhaps arbitrary set of standards. So self-righteous, puffed-up person. But righteousness is a vital um, characteristic of human beings. Righteousness is about living in a right relationship. And in any relationship, there are norms or there are virtues that you need to live up to. There are promises that need to be kept. There are many good things that we need to actually do. And righteousness is a way of saying a person is living in accordance with those promises, with those virtues, um, and so forth. So when we talk about is God righteous, 
part of it is saying, what is the relationship that God has to the world and to his people? So is God righteous? Well, as the creator, you'd say, what is, does God have an obligation to his creation? Well, not essentially so. God is free to do what he wills with what he makes. But according to God's own uh, nature and who God declares himself to be, he does have, he gives himself an obligation to actually fulfil towards us, to demonstrate love, but also judgment upon the world as well. In other words, not to let everything run out of control, but to bring evil to an end, to bring uh, people who have been hurt and damaged or oppressed to a place and a position with him um, where they can enjoy what the Bible calls shalom, peace. So part of the question of the Bible, of course, and one of the questions that gets thrown back at God, will not the judge of the earth do what is right? Something which happens very early on in the story of Abraham. You might remember Lot and his family in, um, uh, was it Sodom or Gomorrah at the time? I can't recall which city it was. I think it was Sodom. Um, a place which brutalised people that would come into the, the city and do terrible things to them. And Lot and his family were, were living in the city and they were um, going to be delivered uh, out of it. And, um, but the, the problem at the time, of course, is that God's going to judge the city and uh, put an end to the evil that is happening there. And Abraham said, yep, oh, look, just before you um, do that, um, what if there are what? Um, you know, three or four innocent people or, or ten people or fifty people or whatever saying to the Lord, you are the judge of all the earth, you will do what is right according to, yeah, both your love and your righteous um, requirement. So God, it's okay to actually call God, in a sense, to account, but be very careful if you do so, um, because it is only a matter of God in his covenantal relationship towards us where he, in a sense, makes him, opens himself to, um, to push back. But as you read the book of Job or other places, you'll also find very dangerous uh, ground to be on to actually uh, critique uh, God because we, we don't understand. We look at all those items that came up there on the screen and we think, why do these things exist in God's world? If God is righteous, that cannot continue uh, forever. But if we're called also to righteousness and justice... We can't just let things like that go on forever too. We have a place and a role uh, to play here. Now, look, this is all big stuff, um, you know, big picture and big consequence stuff at, you know, 10, 11 in the morning on a, on a Sunday. I just want to just hear an encouraging word about how God loves me and, and send me on my way. Well, let me give you that word. God does love you, each and every one of you. But don't go yet. Have you received that word? So, God is righteous, meaning that he is faithful in his relationships. There is the element where, as creator, as I've just explained, there's also the element in terms of his covenant relationship with his people, so with Israel. Is God righteous? Is Israel righteous? This question keeps coming up, and it's, a, it's really, it's all about, are they living according to the uh, obligations and the virtues, etc., that are constitutive of that relationship? Righteousness, or tzedakah, as it is in the Old Testament, 
is often paired with another word, which we translate justice. The two often just exist together. And you often see things like uh, in the Psalms that uh, God is the one who, is, uh, who um, demonstrates to us righteous and justices. Justiceness. Justice. Thanks, Libby. Okay, now righteousness is not a perfect standard or something like that. So the person who is not righteous, it's not that they failed to live up to a kind of moral code. It is particular to the relationship. And we're not going to go into this now, but there's some a few icky Old Testament stories actually where someone is called righteous or more righteous than another person and um, they actually did something really odd and weird. Just mentioning it, that I'm aware of it. I'm not going to go and look at it though because, uh, yeah, gross. Anyway, um, you, if... You probably don't know what that story is in that case, do you? So, good. It involves incest. Okay, so um, Isaiah, he laments the fact that the people of God it was full of justice, the city, righteousness was lodged in her, it was part of their identity, who they were. That's Jerusalem. Has now become full of murderers. He expected justice but saw bloodshed looked for righteousness and said, heard the cry, like the cry of the oppressed. It's in Isaiah 5. When judgment is executed, which is coming, as promised in Isaiah, God will make justice the line and righteousness the plummet. They are the measure of how God will act. But it's important for us to remember that um, Israel is also to be holy and just and righteous because, as Isaiah says again, God is exalted by justice and the holy God shows himself holy by righteousness. Here's probably the kicker where it starts to come thinking about us, where you have one of those things that people say, an apparent contradiction in the Bible, but we just need to think about what it actually means. You may have heard, as it says several times in both Prophets and Proverbs, that God does not justify the wicked. Your mind might be immediately going to Romans saying that God does justify the ungodly. So what's going on? What does justifying mean in this situation? What is, how is God's righteousness expressed in this situation? God does not justify in the sense of vindicating what the wicked do. In that kind of courtroom scene where you come before the king, God is not justifying the wicked in terms of finding favour for the wicked as opposed to the innocent person over here. But the two come, to, come together before the king, pleading their case for the king to actually decide. God is not the one who will justify the wicked. He will not justify the ungodly. In that, he will not vindicate, find in favour of them against the innocent, against the oppressed. That's one meaning of justify. In the New Testament, we've been talking about that. He does justify the wicked, meaning that he will make them right. He will change them. He will rectify them. All these, th all these things are hidden away in both the Greek and Hebrew here, but uh, in English, um, given the mongrel language that it is, we sometimes have to pull together a whole group of different um, concepts. God rectifies the wicked. God changes the wicked. God reaches out to save the wicked, 
not to vindicate their actions. And you might think, well, that's kind of a funny way of thinking about um, justify. But part of it is our own conception of justice. So when we talk about justice, we often think about getting a fair deal, having things work out as we expect. But justice is a complex idea. And uh, as I read one time back when I used to do moral philosophy, nobody knows what justice is was what um, was kind of the big heading for a lot of the seminars that we did about uh, justice. But even if we can't define justice, deep in our bones we know what injustice is, don't we? We know when we have been wronged. We know when things are out of alignment. We know that things are not right, they're not fair. Um, people are hurt, they're not receiving their due. The institutions and processes that we might trust in, hopefully, to give us justice, they might follow rules, they might uh, be bound by law, but the outcome sometimes leaves people longing for more thirsting still for justice. You see that time and again on the news, don't you, that someone is uh, coming out of a court and um, someone who has wronged them has been sent to jail for what they think is a um, too few number of years, and they say that justice was not actually done. Now, interestingly, that, that's a, a very valid idea of thinking about justice, but the Old Testament thinks about justice slightly differently. It's not just about the guilty getting punished and working out whether their sentence was fair, even though that is um, an important aspect of justice. God's justice or God's righteousness is actually in action seeking to repair the damage that has been done. And that's basically the background of what we call restorative justice today, which is in large part influenced by Christians and Jews um, looking at the biblical idea of justice. It's not just about did someone get punished the right amount. Instead, it's about how do we heal the damage that has been done in this community? How do we repair the relationships um, that have been damaged? The community has been ruptured in some form by this act of somebody. How do we actually bring that back together? How do we make things right. It's not enough for God's justice to be manifest in terms of punishment. Often we talk about that like that though, and it's not that people aren't held to account and that people should um, be punished in instances, and, but also to make restitution, to also seek ways that relationships in the community can be made right. So that's what we call restorative justice. And that's part of the manifestation of God's righteousness. So when we think, moving from the Old Testament to the New Testament, thinking about when Jesus says, it's context of the Sermon on the Mount, loving your enemies and, and treating people rightly and reaching out for reconciliation, not taking your you know, offering to the altar without making yourself right with the person on the way, all those different things, God's kingdom and his dikaiosene, justice and righteousness, we need to seek first. Okay. When God says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, it's not just a conceptual idea that you say, deep in my heart, I will always put God first um, and um, I do want to seek to be made righteous in Christ, meaning I have good standing. These things are all true. But to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness or justice means a change in our own lives as well, which is why it's very confronting. But it's rooted in grace. It's rooted in God's righteousness and action. But at the same time, we're called actually to implement that in our own lives as well. 
So when we say, what kind of justice do you hope for in the world? It's quite right that we would ask that people are held to account. But more importantly, when we say, I want justice in the world, surely you also want to see things made right. You want to see things made whole. You want to see an end where days are coming that there will be someone upon the throne that will meet out justice and righteousness. Now, of course, this is where we come to the story of Christ. Who is this person from the uh, tribe of David who will actually come forward and be this king who will bring righteousness and justice to us? Jesus of Nazareth. And as Paul says um, in his letters, particularly in 1 Corinthians and Romans, we think about Paul saying, what is the right, where is the righteousness of God and has it been revealed? And in Romans he says, yes, it has been revealed in the gospel, the good news of King Jesus from the line of David raised from the dead, which makes you think, doesn't it, of uh, Jeremiah 23. God's righteousness is revealed for all of creation, but first to his covenant people, Israel, and then to the entire created order. Worked out in Jesus' life and his faithful obedience to God, that is his righteousness, in right relationship with his Father on our behalf, in a faithful life to death, confronting evil, bearing the... um, the wrath that was expected upon the disobedient people of God and by extension the world and in his glorious vindication, being raised from the dead. Vindicated, Jesus was justified by his heavenly father. He was vindicated, raised from the dead and ascended, seated at the right hand of God to rule over all things. So God's righteousness is revealed by the work of Christ in particular. That's where it finds its climax. And a hearty amen and great thanks to God for that. What does thanks look like? What is the purpose that God intends for his creation? How is God's righteousness going to be manifested to his creation? Well, days are still coming in the sense that we still wait for the end, the consummation, the eschaton, the final goal of all creation where Christ will rule over everything and there will be the peace, the shalom, the justice, things being set right that we all long for. It will be a difficult day because we will all be judged according to the life that we have lived before God. But our salvation is secure in the achievement of Jesus on our behalf. But what does it look like in the meantime? Is it just a matter of waiting? Is it all about God setting everything right at the end and we can do as we will in the meantime? And we'd all say, of course not, no, no. We do need to seek first the kingdom. We do need to uh, seek first his righteousness. And, of course, the Old Testament gives us some models for that. He says as he tries to find the page that he wrote it down on. Where are you, Amos? Okay, let's just, I I know where it is anyway. So let's turn to Amos chapter 3. And you will be well and truly uh, aware of uh, this this text, I'm sure. Amos chapter 3. 
if we believe the Bible to be the word of God, if we believe the Old Testament to reveal God's purposes to us, we can't go through the scripture chopping and choosing the particular scriptures that we like. We can't go through and say, ah, that's a text for social justice warriors or here's a text for conservative um, and pious folk. Everything that we read in scripture is to apply to all of us. We are to actually be devoted to God, to be pure of heart. But we are also to live out that faith in means of justice and righteousness as well. So Amos chapter 3. Um, just want to say this isn't aimed at the worship team at all. First, um, actually, sorry, Amos chapter 5, um, verse 23. Take away from me the noise of your songs. That's, that was all I want to say. <laughs> I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God's desire to see us treat each other well, to treat each other right, to give each other their due. This is just a fundamental part of who we are meant to be. And each time people call out and say, why isn't the world a more just place? Why isn't it a place where there is more peace or wholeness or healing? We have to also think about ourselves and think, are we actually people who bear witness to the fact that, that God desires human beings to participate in this and will lead by example? Not to create a perfect world, that's not going to happen. But if you just say, oh, well, we can't create a perfect world, we'll just wait and do nothing, then you've also missed the point. But if we embody, bear witness to what God is doing both amongst us and what he will ultimately do, what he's achieved for us through Christ, then we're actually fulfilling what... Um, what God wants. We're bearing witness that, yes, there is righteousness coming. When we say days are coming, we can also say, and they've already begun. In Christ, there is already a new creation here amongst us. Are we living in accordance with that reality? Are we living in accordance with that proclamation, the bold claim that we make? Or, as was often said to Israel, Yahweh is blasphemed among the nations because of the way that you're living unjustly without righteousness. I just want to finish with this idea then. When we call out for justice, we do call for people to account, but we're also calling for the healing of the world. We're calling for a transformation and it's a rectification. It doesn't have to be perfect. No one's sort of not talking about a kind of a... Um, you know, weak humanism where we just believe that everyone is just as the best as they are and it's all, all great and we can, you know, join hands and the world will be a wonderful place. Neither do we believe that the world is utterly desolate and there is not a scrap of God's goodness in existence in the world at all, but instead God is at work by his spirit and through his people to transform and change the world. And restorative justice the justice that is embodied here in God's righteousness and justice. We want to bring communities together. We want to heal the people that are hurt. 
we want to hold evil to account and we want to see evil um, overcome. But it's through the love and mercy of Christ as well. God's justice is not about retribution alone. It transcends retribution. It is about God's restoration. So if I can leave you with one thing today as you think about what you've discussed today, maintain their age if you're angry about injustice in the world, but resolve yourselves as well, that as servants of Christ, as people in relationship to the covenant God of Israel and the world, resolve yourselves that you will actually be an embodiment of God's righteousness, his love and justice as well. Seek first his righteousness. Amen. Coming when a benediction is going to appear. Well, in the absence of that, as uh, as you go out into the world again this week, go in the encouragement of your relationship in Christ Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and His call call upon you to um, yeah fulfil His mission, or as Paul said. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go forth now into the world, but before you go, stay, encourage one another in, uh, in your faith. Amen.